Case file number 6.09. Stupid sexy smart cards. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. Y- you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one. The other one. Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief. What would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief. All I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So I know I don't do many of these, but I figured today would be kind of like a technical episode just because I have been like neck deep in crap like for the past like week and a half trying to get stuff to uh, work in my environment. And all of that is based around uh, smart cards and like PIV, CAC, all that crap. PIV and CACR are, they may be the most often used smart card standard, but Mm -hmm. I know that you can run Microsoft Certificate Authority. And from what I understand, because I've never gotten to do it the easy way, uh, (laughs) authentication with Windows stuff is, requires less less work to get running. That if you just use Microsoft's solution, it's not quite as bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll touch on that because, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like, hey, if you roll your own from like, you know, ground level up, it's really easy. But if you're handed some of these things and they're like, make it work, then it becomes kind of harder because you're dependent on how they set things up and how they did the certs and all that stuff. Yeah. And that was actually the big point that I think is important here is that your cert layout in ways that most of the time you don't have to care about matters a lot here. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, like just, just kind of the basis of, you know, like why, why are smart cards, PIV, you know, all that stuff important. Like, you know, we'll talk on like uh, just two-factor in general too, because, you know, we kind of touch on the RSA tokens, but, you know, obviously this day and age, username and password just doesn't cut it. Yeah. All those various smart card methods, one way or another, rely at their core on um, asymmetric cryptography, mm-hmm. private public key pair stuff. I think I've mentioned it before, the RSA tokens and all of the virtual token apps are still based on RSA and they're using a time index that your side can calculate and their side can calculate in order to get the same uh, six digit code or whatever. Um, So um, it's all based on the same cryptography. It is implemented differently, but it's all based on on the normal asymmetric cryptography, the RSA, and sometimes, although you rarely see it nowadays, DSA algorithms. Yeah, exactly. And one of my notes here is uh, talk about why it's annoying. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, we, we touched on like some of the, you know, the cert paths and stuff like that. And beyond that, you know, you, you're obviously dealing with um, a device that can be lost 
um, users are always the best at like, you know, like, um, yeah, it is. But remember MFA stands for multi. I mean, I don't know if you're going to do the, the factors of authentication thing. No, I won't, I won't go like that. Yeah. I will. Uh, <laughs> the three authentication factors in this at least was on the CISSP exam on one at one point are stuff, you know, stuff, you uh, stuff, you have stuff, you are. Mm -hmm. So the thing you have is the token that has the cert information on it that can do the processing. And the thing that you know is the pin code for it. And that's the multi and multi-factor. Yep. I know you know that, but maybe some of the folks listening don't. Yes. Also, I, I think it's on the security plus as well. I haven't looked at security plus material in more than a decade. Yeah, it has been, it has been a long, long well, time. I never took it. I actually took the CISSP before there was a security plus. Mm. So there's a lot of different like, paths, obviously, that you can go about doing this. Um, so one of the first steps is kind of deciding on what the solution uh, you're going to use will be. It kind of boils down to what is available to you and what requirements you're held to. You know, you might be working for the government and cat cards, they're issued to everyone. You got you to use cat cards. Like that's your standard and they have to work off of that. Um, you could be private enterprise and it's kind of like sky's the limit. You can do like, you know, we want two factor, but, you know, go for it. Like, tell us how you're going to do it. I mean, and there's lots of things, lots of decisions that you can make engineering wise on that. But um, I mean, you want to go back to the first law of engineering, which is you don't get to Greenfield. You always have to take into account what you already have and what yes. you can deal with. So how much latitude as you're going into, you have to decide what you're going to do really depends on your environment. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, you might be beholden to like, you know, FIPS 140 um, compliant systems. So one of the things that I looked at like very early on, like three, four years ago, because of my organization and there's a lot of outside uh, folks who can't get, you know, the same badge that like the internal folks can get, mm -hmm. but we need to rope them in. How do you do that? And I looked at YubiKeys, which are, you know, these fun little uh, USB devices you know, now they have NFC devices. They have tons of different like uh, varieties or whatever. But the one roadblock was they were not FIPS 140 compliant at the time. They have, uh, now they are, yeah. So that's <laughs> been great. Awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're they're fairly cheap. I use one to secure the Amazon account that we serve the whole podcast stuff from. Do you, do you remember off the top of your head how much it cost? Uh, I think the one I got was 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah. That's, been a, a little bit more. That's what uh, I was thinking, actually, like 50 to 60. Yeah, I think my root it one was like 50, and then I have a separate key, which is the low profile one, mm. uh, which I think was more like 75 or 80 or something like that, that I use for normal for my normal console administration. It's a best practice. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I mean they're they're not too expensive in the grand scheme of things. No, but you can also just roll your own badges. Um, you mm -hmm. just have to get a badge, you know, printer in order to, you know, stamp your shirt on them and get everything. And then you know, like we talked about the RSA tokens, that's a little more expensive because you need an RSA appliance to kind of do the authentication in your environment um, if you're doing like a standalone um, RSA appliance. Well, I mean, that's one of the set of, dis of, of decisions you have. There's like Okta and several other, um, Okta is just the first one that comes to mind. I haven't worked with them personally, but there's a lot of cloud services that will do a lot of these things for you. And if all of the stuff you need integrates with them and you can use them as a cloud service, they can make your enrollment really easy, but not everybody has a choice to do that. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like you might, you know, not be able to access the cloud at all in your environment. Yeah. I actually had an experience at Black Hat where a guy was like, here, let me show you this cool thing. And I was like, it was like a QR code, boom, your your phone is enrolled in their <laughs> service. And I'm like, that's really cool. It solves none of my problems. Right. <laughs> yeah. And another factor is, you know, like, um, do your systems have USB ports? Are they open? Are they locked down? Yeah. You know, UB keys are USB. Uh, so if that's, that's an issue, then that's kind of, you know, yeah. the thing you can't go. You know, smart card readers, do your devices have the smart card readers built in? Do you have to buy USB smart card readers? Because then again, USBs, lots of different things to consider. Yeah. Beyond that, I think I think you did an episode on certificate authorities. Oh, yeah. It was it was early on, but, I, but I've actually re-listened to it, and I, I don't feel like I missed a ton. Yeah. So, you know, that that's another consideration is where is the certificate authority that's going to be um, validating your uh, search for your smart cards? Are you going to roll your own? Because that will make things much, much easier. But again, that might not be a thing that you want to take on or a thing that you're even allowed to take on. And to the certificate or authority side of that, if it depends on like the level of assurance you need in your certificate authority. But like if you're going to do a workman's job at that, you have to figure out how you're going to do revocation, how you're going to work out uh, recovery if you need to any kind of compliance, to any kind of regulations for anybody else to trust you. There's a bunch of paperwork side stuff that you need for certification. And like, that's not just, hey, we're in the government. That, sometimes that's business to business stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's like a lot of labor associated with doing all of that, those things, not just getting a certificate up and running technically. Mm -hmm. And it had been a while since I um, rolled my own CA on Windows. And I had forgotten that, you know, when you do that, if you do the web enrollment uh, rule, mm -hmm. it auto installs IIS, you know, because that's the default web server, but it also defaults to just running that on port 80. So you, like, when you get your CA up and running for your web enrollment, you have to make sure to uh, double back and generate a cert for your web enrollment and then, you know, point it to only using 443. I mean, yeah. I mean <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool that they that, that that they that they roll that in because like I'm used to doing it all command line because I'm I'm from the Stone Age, um, and doing getting any kind of web enrollment thing is, you know, I don't know I haven't done it recently, but probably somebody's project. You have no idea the level of maintenance it's in or anything like that. And it's a completely separate deal. So, uh, okay, I like they are trying to solve a problem for you, right. Yeah, I've, I've usually like just used the web enrollment because you know it, I found it fairly easy to just like pop open a web page, paste mm -hmm. in the CSR, um, and pull back out and put it where it needs to go. So yeah, like some of my notes here are coming at this smart card thing. You know, in the event that you're running your own CA, and mm -hmm. you know one of the first steps is once you have that up and running, and you've established everything to generate the templates that you're going to be using for your smart card login. And that's fairly easy. Like you can just use the uh, cert template uh, .msc snap in, go there, you know, scroll down to smart card login, duplicate that. And you might even want to duplicate the enrollment cert as well for the enrollment agent, <clears throat> depending on if you're going to allow users to enroll themselves or you're going to enroll all of them on their behalf. I would generally go with the second option because it makes things much easier. Yeah, you'd only do the first one if they're going to be controlling the the key information directly. Um, if you're going to be creating all of their smart cards or UB keys or whatever they're using as their tokens, then you absolutely are going to 
be doing the the second option. Exactly. And, you know, I won't go into specifics of like, you know, all the different fields and template, but, you know, once you copy it, you can go in there and change the name. You can set uh, if for some reason you want to allow the private key to be exported, um, you know, you can click that off and you can change the crypto algorithms, all that stuff, decide who can enroll something, you know, who can, uh, you know, sign up for it, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what the default key length is, but you probably want to make it at least 4096 at this point. I think, I think it's 2048 by default. Now, the reason for that is that 2048 is okay right now. Mm. And it's like the generally accepted length, but however long your certificates are going to be around, you want to kind of future proof against that, especially yeah. if you're going to have long duration keys. And, yeah. and changing keys means reissuing smart cards, which is money. Exactly. And oh yeah, that is a good point too. Like one of the options in the template is, you know, the validity period. Yeah. So yeah, you know, like you know, you can set it to cancel them out after one year, but it's gonna be, you know, a crazy hassle. Yeah. If you're doing it with physical tokens, one year is kind of your minimum. It, mm -hmm. uh, web servers and stuff like that, you can especially you uh, with some automation you can do with with key rotation it's reasonable to even have shorter periods, but mm -hmm. less than a year with a physical token for a user is less than that's a huge amount of extra effort, but even a year is, is like not even the federal government does that. And the federal government makes a lot of dumb decisions. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, once you're doing the enrollment on their behalf, it's, it's super simple. Um, just going to the cert manager, you know, right clicking into the white space, uh, advanced features requests are on behalf, you know, you go through the list. And then it's just a question of if you're using YubiKeys, you know, you'll set the management pin, you'll set the regular pin, all this stuff. You'll stamp the uh, the cert to the YubiKey and then issue it out and just have them change their pin, you know. And then you This might derail things a significant amount, but I think it's probably worth mentioning. Hmm. If you're going to do something other than smart card authentication, if you're going to be doing anything that's doing SAML authentication, you're going to be using the same certificates to do that all of that work. Mm -hmm. And all of the group information and organizational unit stuff that's associated with it is going to have to conform to the same directory structure, which is your AD structure, yeah. as as you did with your with your smart cards. And in the case of SAML, SAML's kind of working a little bit differently. It's the same cryptography, but it's going to be giving an assertion about group membership and stuff as the identity provider for the service, which you have to merge with the smart card information you're talking about doing for local authentication and smart card use. Um, like those two things, they're all based on the same stuff, but they use slightly different information. You need to make sure that all of that lines up when you're designing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot like where you can get like three fourths of the way through and then realize, uh-oh, yeah, this doesn't work for me. A lot of the reason that the people who do this kind of thing why it takes as long as it does and why it's so specialized is there's a lot of situations where they inherit both sides of the equation and they're like, figure out how to make these two come together. Mm -hmm. Like make our chocolate peanut butter moment happen. Yeah, 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 exactly. And with your domain, um, if you're using Windows, there's a few advanced attributes that I'll, I'll kind of touch on here because I had to play around with them. Um, and you know, one is the user certificate field. Um, this is the one that gets mapped. Like if you're enrolling people um, on their behalf, this will get the cert map to it. Um, and if you go to advanced features and AD, I'll look through the attribute editor and look at this, you know, you'll see their cert right there. 
However, if you're kind of beholden to a cert that's already on the smart card, there's a few other options. Um, there is the alt security identities field. In that, you can put the uh, X509 um, string that has the OID uh, number reference. I believe that's the way I've always done it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had to do this, but this was an issue of mine was that where the CN is for the username and then, you know, like my full name and everything at the end, the string just has a space in between to separate out, which is totally reasonable and works for Windows. Uh, Linux requires a comma there. Otherwise, it can't read that. I don't think I ever ran into that. I can't say that I've done it recently, but oh my God, that's one of those. Ah. So like my, my old security identities basically have the exact same string twice there. Just one has a comma, one doesn't, because Windows actually doesn't like the comma. Um, so you, you have to have both. I'm not saying any, any that we're committing to doing it, but man, somebody should write a PowerShell script that just goes through all the identities. You have an alt identity with a space, it copies it and makes a comma. If you have it with a comma, it copies it and makes a space. Yeah, yeah. Boom, goes through the directory, looks for all of your users in PowerShell and just corrects all of them to make sure both are always there. Mm -hmm, exactly. And you can expand your schema too, uh, if you want to also include the SSH public key uh, info, mm -hmm. like in your, your AD attributes. Um, you don't have to, but. Yeah, I need you to show me how to do that because we need to do that in, in our environment. We, oh, okay. we keep right The folks that were, who were supposed to make that happen keep dragging their feet. Oh, really? It's, 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 it's super easy, yeah. Yeah, well, it's Windows people trying to help the Linux people out. Uh, they just don't talk the same language. Yeah. And getting Windows to authenticate via smart card, like we talked about, uh, is really freaking easy if you're just doing like Windows login. You know, obviously, a uh, major factor is just making sure your clients are actually keeping time correctly, because that's that can be a major issue when you're playing around with this, um, is any time drift and, you know, everything starts breaking. I think this has come up several times, both in Kerberos and all of this RSA stuff, almost all of the digital signature related uh, authentication stuff uses time as part of its nonce. You know, it's one of those things where no matter how many times you talk about it and no matter how many times when you look into it, you realize that the underlying issue was DNS, time sync being off, or I'll talk about this later, uh, the IP address changing because DHCP was on. I class that as a DNS problem. <laughs> it, it's, it's always you know, at least an hour of frustration till you go, wait a second. And then, you know, stumble upon this. So don't don't feel bad if you're like, oh shit, it was DNS all all this time. Scooby-Doo moment. It, right. That's why that checklist the checklist exists. It's like you call up tech support and it's like, have you turned it off and on again? Mm -hmm. Like if this is the same thing, it's like, can you ping the rest of the internet? Can you ping the network? Did your IP address change? Are you using DNS names or IP addresses? What did you check your time sync before you do anything else? Are you up to patch level? Yeah, exactly. And another thing um, within your GPO that you can enable uh, on Windows is username hints. And we do this because uh, we have horribly shitty software that still requires local users. And one of the things you can do with the all secured identities and also the name mapping, which I did actually talk about with the advanced attributes, but that's another thing is you can do um, like name mapping within AD. And so you can effectively take your username and your cert and map it to another user. And so that way, 
if you have a local account, you have a piece of software that you know requires a local account be shared amongst different users, you can still have a certificate map to that, but you don't need to issue a badge, like a second badge to every single person. You just map them oh, to that. So that's how that works. Mm -hmm. I worked at not my primary client, but I was working at, a, working at a different client and they did that. And, and like all of your alternative security contacts went into the username hint field. Mm -hmm even though it was all the same authentication information. And I was like, that's cool. Although it's kind of tedious to use uh, at yes. least the way that they had them, them implemented. Cause there were so many different security contacts that I had to deal with the, with the role that I, that I was filling for them. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, it is a, it is a cool trick that I hadn't gotten a chance to look into. Yeah. And one, one major thing is um, if you ever do that and you need to audit it, obviously, Mm -hmm. The event ID 4768, which is a Kerberos event, is the one you want to be looking at because that's the one where it will actually okay. show you logged in as this local account, but it, you know, mapped to the certificate that's owned by this user. That's good information. I've, I've been doing a lot of work at looking at AD login, log off information. And I was exact, I was looking at the 4768, 4769. Mm -hmm. through like uh 71 or 72 and some of that stuff is like felt very redundant but now that makes sense because we don't use those features but if we did that would be a very important uh feel a very important event id for us to have yeah and so now we're going to move on to the linux side of things where everything gets really funky um and not so easy to do this is what i spent a week and a half playing around with now obviously if you're using uh red hat linux and you're using free IPA instead of Windows AD as your domain, and you're using SSD, this is actually going to be very easy because it, it kind of functions the same way as a Windows client with a Windows uh, Active Directory. You know, it just kind of plug and play for the most part. However, all the assumptions are in line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, however, if you, you know, your identity source is AD and you're using Linux, um, then it starts getting kind of funky and muddy. Um, I'm, I'm not going to touch on free IPA much because I've, I've used it in the past. It's a really cool tool. Um, if you're primarily a Linux environment, I highly suggest using it. Um, it's kind of more Red Hat based. It's available for Ubuntu um, and Debian, but it doesn't work that great on those from what I've uh, read. Okay. There's a lot of like uh, bugs and stuff still. So my, my route through all of this was uh, from the Ubuntu side of things. And I use SSSD to join all my systems to Windows domain. Uh, using like Realm Join and all that stuff. And I had initially decided, okay, well, I mean, this joins everything. It does all the authentication. This should be my path for getting smart cards to work. But then I dropped that after some tinkering because it was starting to get very frustrating. There is, like I told you before we start recording this episode, um, there's very little clear documentation on how to do this. There's a lot of documentation that's written by the developers of these tools written for other developers which i'm yeah. sure is you know it's very informative to them coming at it from like you know sys admin like sys engineer sort of mindset it's like i i don't know what this means like like holy shit like that happens a lot in a linux in the linux world it's not a linux specific problem <laughs> yeah you could talk to me about the api all you want but i care about implementation yeah yeah exactly and you know like i mentioned Four or five years ago, I was playing around with YubiKeys. So I already had some background on this and knew that the OpenSC and the PAMPKCS11 uh, packages um, were kind of a good 
spot to like kind of start again and refresh myself and go from there. Yeah. Um, to expand out the acronym PAM or pluggable ad, uh, access modules in Linux, that's how Linux does its, um, you, how you can change the way that it does authentication. And then the PKCS is, uh, I forget what it stands for, but basically if you ever see that, that's certificate related stuff. Yeah. And OpenSC is obviously just open per card, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, the PKCS 11 um, and 15, like all those have a lot of tools that are, uh, what is it? It's uh, PKCS 11 underscore inspect, and then you put debug, and it will just dump a ton of information about your smart card um, after you enter your PIN. And that's a really good idea to kind of look to see how the system is reading that, see what the strings are that it's finding, because the major hurdle is getting the mapping to work properly. Right. Um, like once it once it can map your username and associate that to you know um, hand it off either the SSD or you know a local user or whatever, then it's easy. Like you know you're 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 pretty much gold at that point. What you think is happening is happening. Yeah, and the the Pampikius, uh eleven package when you inst- uh, install it, you know it comes with a configuration sample that you have to copy over. Um, you go in there and edit it. And also you need to create a CA search. Uh, directory and in there you dump all your ca certs and you need to use the um trying to remember i think it's just a pkcs 11 create hash command Mm -hmm. and it will create similar caches for all of those um because another thing is if it goes to read through your certs um and it can't validate the ca that signed them it will just deny you so the store the standard and i forget the name of it but um the standard red hat add cert function they so they've got this whole thing where if you put the new, if you have a man in the middle decryption system and that's a, a TLS uh, uh, break and inspect system, you put the root of that in uh, the trusted CAs like uh, slash Etsy slash SSL slash CA cert slash trusted CAs or something like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's somewhere around there. Uh, and then you run the, you run this command and I have, built uh, jobs that do this automatically. So I just don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, uh, but it'll build that. I know that sometimes it uses, it does that. Um, well, it creates some sim links in certain places uh, in order to do that, but it sounds like that's not enough to make this work. That you also need to run the PKCS 11 tools in order to make it work. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Pam PKCS 11 does not give a shit about what your system uh, regards as a trusted CA. It only cares about its own directory. So yeah, that was one hurdle that I ran into was, why isn't this validating this stuff? Like my system trusts this cert. I've used open uh, SSL, you know, to like check it out, everything, everything's fine. I don't understand why this is failing. And that's, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, I think we mentioned this when we were talking about CAs, that that is a problem that is that exists a lot more on the Linux side, some and some of that cross-pollinates to Windows of different systems just using their own trust store rather than using the system level trust store. Uh, I know that I've specifically run into that with Python and Java on both Windows and Linux platforms. Java is a huge um, yeah. issue with that because yeah, they have their trusted store and you need yeah. to port everything over to them so they can- Those scripts I was talking about were just scripts that sync all of those up on the Linux systems uh, that, that we administer in my team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so annoying. Within that, uh, the PKCS 11 configuration, um, one major thing is, I don't 
you know, it must have been in a different place long ago. But if you install the package and you look at the OpenSC portion and where it's looking for the library, um, it's actually looking in the wrong directory. You need to modify it. So it's looking into x86-64 uh, uh, Linux. Yeah, I think it's just looking just straight under user lib64, user lib. That's not a stupid place to put it. You'd expect it to at least be symlinked there. I mean, that's that's a report that report the bug and let them fix the RPM kind of problem. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people have reported because it, it, it is in some of the, like, it's in a handful of documentation that I found. Um, so all you listeners that look at this at all, report the bug. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no brigading. Yeah. In there too, in that config, um, it will list all of the, the mappers. And the mappers, you know, obviously going to be mapping your username to like the cert and everything. And it has an LDAP mapper. I didn't really play around with that too much. Um, there's the UID, CN, subject, PWENT. And I think there's a handful of others. Um, the ones that I played around with were the UID and the CN. Mm -hmm. And those are the most important ones. Mm -hmm. And um, like a, a fun little thing too that I discovered is you can even do a mapping file within that context. And that is kind of the same thing as the name mapping on Windows, where I could basically say like, okay, map my username that's on my certificate that also you know correlates to my Active Directory that you're authenticating and sort of thing, but also map that to the, the local like admin account so that I can use my certificate for both those. The one thing to realize though, is that like most things, it just goes down the list and when it hits a match, it stops. Mm -hmm. So if you have the uh, UID before the CN in your, uh, in your list of mapping, it'll hit your UID and just like that, that's all you get. So you have, you have to play around with that a little bit to be able to map it correctly. Well, it occurs to me that if you're in an environment that has some complexity where you need the same certificate for different usernames and, and, the, and the mapping is complicated. Something that you could do is you could issue certificates with a subject alternative name and map the subject alternative name on your Linux systems if you need a different user identity, uh, user ID string than the uh, CN or the UID. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just like, these are just giving an impression of a potentially complex problem you could solve with some of the flexibility that it gives you. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. If you're generating your own certs, you can play around mm -hmm. a lot with that. And so once that's all, you know, good and set up, you can start monkeying around with the system um, and just go into your your PAM configuration under Etsy uh, PAM.d. And I was playing around. I was using sudo uh, because that was the easiest one to use to test, like kind of in a separate terminal without locking myself out of the system and bricking it. <laughs> Yeah, I could just run pseudo commands in one terminal, see, you know, if it was validating it and check the error messages in my other terminal. Pish, do it live. Do your crosswords in pen. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there are a lot of random errors uh, you can get. Um, obviously, we talked about this. Um, so one thing that I uh, ran into was make sure your uh, CA um, cert or your CA chain are up to date. Mm -hmm. One of these... My certificate chain came in the uh, P7B uh, format, which mm -hmm. is not recognizable by Linux. You can use a few different commands. One was like to, to kind of like cat them out into PEM format. That only worked for like the first cert in that chain. I eventually basically just went into the chain, pulled all the certs out individually, converted them all to PEM and threw them into the hash directory. That's probably the better way of doing it. 
P7C's, P7B, P7C's are, are good for those chains. But uh, if you were going to go to the list of things that can break with anything certificate related, you know, check DNS, check time. That's another one is check your certificate chain. Yeah. Um, the number of times that's cropped up for me in between SSL and other CA related stuff where it's just like, no, this is one of those things. That's one of those gifts that keeps on giving. Yeah. And um, one, one of the issues I had was that like the certificate chain um, was all valid except like one in the middle was uh, had expired. And like, yeah, yeah we, we run into the issue where these, these chains are uploaded in a bunch of different places and trying to find the one that's most up to date was kind of annoying. On top of that, I just remembered my smart card has a lot of expired certs on it that have been removed. So when I'm looking at the logs, I was getting like invalid, 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 like, you know, going down the list. And it's just, it's so much noise to try to figure out, is this invalid because it's not recognized in the CA? Is it invalid because that certificate is actually expired on my badge? Mm -hmm. Going up and down, figuring out which cert did it pull and what is it telling me about that cert? Actually, there's potentially some advice there, which is to extract your current live cert onto a YubiKey or a different medium if you've got something that's like the PIV or a CAT card where you can't necessarily control expired certs on it yeah. and use that for testing. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Yep. That'll pollute your logs a lot less, make it easier to, for you to find your troubleshooting problems. And uh, another point of um, troubleshooting is uh, make sure if you're testing this on VMs, which I was testing on. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, the DHCP hasn't changed where your uh, certificate authority slash domain uh, resides because that happened to me a few times. In fact, like just before I figured out how to do this with SSD, I was like pulling my hair out. Like, I don't understand. And I ran a Kerberos command to kind of just validate my, like my cert. Like you said, I just pulled off the one cert. And it was like, I don't know like what to do about this. And I was like, that doesn't make any, wait a second. <laughs> you know, check the IP and iterate it up one. So, I mean, there's a question. Like, I would, I try and do this only because I've run into problems like that so often mm -hmm. of making sure that I'm doing everything by name. And when it takes up that lease, have everything configured to, to uh, advertise that name and change DNS. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if that would have helped your problem because sometimes it doesn't, but I've found that I get less of those problems when I'm doing things by explicit DNS rather than just letting it fill in the DHCP blank. Yeah, yeah, it definitely would have. It was just like, I had spun up both these VMs just for like pure testing. Yeah. So I didn't do any of the, uh, like setting up DNS or anything else in the back end, and then paid for it, so. <laughs> yeah, you could pay for it up front and hope, or you can pay for it in troubleshooting time. Yeah, exactly. So once once this is all working in sudo and you're getting, you know, properly validating, at that point you can start putting it like into the GUI stuff. Mm. One issue that I found was I I'm a major proponent for the Mate desktop, which comes with LightDM as the display mm. manager. However, LightDM freaks out when you're doing this. Um, for some reason, it like in the back end, it can't figure out the mapping and everything. And it just gets really screwy. So I opted to use GDM, which is very quick. You know, it reads the smart card and like, mm. you know, actually, you know, asks for your pin on the, the display manager and lets you in and everything. Um, Make screensaver um, works, you know, right out of the box for asking for your pin. So yeah, I'm not sure what, what's up with like DM. Um, I did see some bug requests and stuff like that in regards to that, that I don't think were ever solved. 
beyond that, you know, we were talking about SSH. One of the easiest ways to get this uh, certificates working with SSH is you can copy the public key of your badge, throw it in your authorized keys file, yeah. um, and just SSH using that, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, you know, if you're using PuTTY, if you're using uh, SSH to do it, you have to point it to the smart card library so it can actually read um, your smart card and request the pin. But that's pretty easy. I will say as a caveat, if you're doing this in your environment, keep in mind that your users can kind of be jerks. And if you allow them, they could just, you know, do uh, SSH key gens, generate their own keys. So what we did was we moved the authorized keys file actually to a different location that wasn't under home. Um, and then just updated our SSHD config. Um, and funny enough, we had a handful of users email us and be like, I don't understand what's wrong. Like, I can't log in anymore. And I was like, ha, gotcha. It's like, as it turns out, you we, we caught you doing the nefarious things that you were doing. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, also you have to think about the key management from that because if your certs expire, you need to push out new keys. That needs to be mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know how... I. If you're doing it this way, this might be a way that I would try and do it is store their current public key in the directory and have a have a chef script or Ansible or whatever you use, uh, read from the directory, the current public key and push that out as authorized keys. That would be a way of managing all of that. Yep. And that's exactly how like I am uh, approaching a new mission. The old one, we basically just told the users, if you get a new key, like, you know, you got to go in, get your badge renewed. Um, here's a document on how to extract the public key and send it to us because we don't want to bother. Um, yeah. But the other one, I'm automating it. Yeah, it's just pull that information from the directory and populate and like it. You, and doing it the way that you're talking, the, the way that you set it up the first time is fine at a smaller scale. But when you scale up, automate as much as possible and put it into your design and try not to try not to be in the spot where you have to backfill it. <laughs> and another thing that I ran into, well, like, doing a bunch of testing is there's there's one, there's a whole ton of like, you know, connection um, applications out there like VNC, RDP, yada, yada, yada. Um, Exago is one of my favorite ones, but no machine actually works really well when you're doing smart cards because no machine operates using its own authorized keys file, but it works on both Windows and Linux. And so you mm -hmm. can basically leverage no machine to get uh, smart card authentication working via the authorized keys file uh, pretty quickly and like roll that that's out that's cool that i had some problems setting up no machine the once or twice that i tried to um but that sounds like a really good reason to 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 figure it out and get and use it uh if it makes everybody able to use everything smoothly and you only have to administer one access application mm -hmm. yeah and then finally uh circling back to ssd so once i got this all working because i'm me i was like yeah i mean it's working but like could i make it work better um let's go back and like get ssd working so i played around with it a bit uh one hurdle is that in your standard configuration it's just your domain and then the um settings for ssd itself mm -hmm. and when you look through a lot of the documentation you can add a lot of like little um i guess like modules or like sections in your ssd configuration to tell it like how to handle different services mm -hmm. and so you can tell it to handle sudo you can tell it to handle um like pam and so if you put a PAM section, you can then set the uh, use sir uh, auth to true. And one hurdle that I discovered again is that when you're using SSD to do this, 
old versions were looking at Etsy, PKI, NSSDB, which is where like you'd have to take your certs, throw it in there, and would look at it. Newer versions look at Etsy, SSSD, PKI, and they look for a specific PEM file called SSSD underscore auth underscore CA underscore DB. And knowing which version of SSD you're running is very important because you can you can specify where it needs to look for the cert file, but if you don't realize it, that you're running the up-to-date version, because um, a lot of people told me the new version isn't even available for 20.04. Surprise, it is. Um, and that was one of my issues was it was looking for the uh, certificate authorities in the wrong directory for a long time. I feel like if I were writing a script around it, I'd write it to populate both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the cert mapping you can do in ssd.com. There's, there's a write-up on, um, I think it's ssd.org or something like that. That kind of looks at how PAM PKCS11 did it, maps it to ssd and kind of shows you how to do it that way. I created one that just did mapping for the CNMI user and later um, figured out how to do the all security identity field and use that. And yeah, that, that's basically it. Um, once I got that running, um, solved my IP issues and everything like that, you know, I was able to get SSD properly looking up the cert. Yeah, and and uh, if you got everything rolling like that and you're rolling out like virtual desktops or virtual machines that you're scaling up that are all synced up to that certificate authentication stuff. You don't have to worry about any kind of user management. It's just all central authentication to multi-factor and fun, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of like automation that I still have to do in the back end, um, like pulling those attributes down, populating the alt security identities field, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that was a fun little uh, adventure that I took. Yeah. Uh, sounds like it. There, <laughs> And honestly, I think that smart cards are, are really good multi-factor tech um, for a lot of reasons, because it gives you that internal control of everything. You don't have to trust anybody else, yes. but man, there is the using somebody's external authenticator has a lot of integration arguments for it. Even, I mean, I know that Okta definitely had a security breach. I think it compromised some billing information and stuff like that. I don't remember off the top of my head, but you're still increasing your risk surface for all of your authentication stuff when you're using anybody else's service. But man, does it make the integration easier? And a lot in a lot of cases for a lot of your use cases, they've solved it. They either are providing the software or they, ha or they already have documentation for it. Um, yeah. Because, well, you're paying them for it directly or indirectly. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and like, like we've mentioned a few times, if someone else is generating the cert for you, it becomes just a headache to look at how, like, where did they generate the cert and what format does it follow? What is the mapping associated and like, how does it work in my environment? Cause yeah, like the mapping could be entirely screwy and now you have to figure out how to like, you know, pull the two together and get your, your peanut butter and chocolate moment. Yeah. It very much annoys me because the PIV and CAC standards were around very early on in the, in the smart card authentication world and Windows decided, or Microsoft decided to basically roll their own certificate policy. And so we've been paying for it in integration ever since. Oh, Microsoft. Yeah. Well, embrace and extend. <laughs> Find out about new episodes of r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.